Welcome back to Sermon Notes. Michael here alongside Garland. Garland, here we are in the book of Philippians. We're in week two of our study, and I hope that uh, most of our listeners have had a chance to pick up a study guide. They've had a chance to review Philippians 1, 1 through 11. They've had a chance to think about the background, the time of writing, all the things that go into study in any book of the Bible, but especially an epistle, who wrote it, who was he writing to, and all that type of thing. And so we're just going to pick it right up um, in verse 12. Um, Paul's writing to this church in Philippi, and he lets them in a little bit on his circumstance. Yeah. Um, Philippians, as we've noted, is... It's just a very, very personal letter. And so if, you, if you're studying Philippians and reading through Philippians um, in your small group, then one of the things that's, that's of course, worth noting um, is the verbs. We talk about verbs all the time. Verbs, uh, they carry a lot of freight in uh, Hebrew and Greek. And so just notice the first persons of this first section. Um, and really, there's, we, we had to break these passages down, you know, uh, somewhere, and we have... Maybe an unfortunate uh, kind of break in our talk series uh, in Philippians chapter one. Um, and we'll talk about that just just a second. Maybe where it, where the break should be. I know why we did that. We really want twenty one and following. That, Whoever, whoever's teaching that, we wanted to yeah. make sure they got. That. <laughs> yeah, we want to make sure twenty one for me to live as Christ to die as gain. You know, get center stage in a sermon, um, and and totally rightly so. Like I, I totally love that. Um, but if you'll notice, Paul begins this with a very regular. Uh, uh, we might say. Letter convention of the ancient Roman world. He uh, he, ad- he he identifies himself. He addresses the uh, his recipients, and then he you know most ancient letters you would you would uh, give some kind of an honor or blessing to whatever the deity is that you um, you know might might be uh, uh, honoring or believing in this moment. He says grace and peace to you from God our Father Lord Jesus Christ. Which loaded language already there, Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice chapter one verse three all the way down to verse 26 really is Paul's personal remarks. Um, it was it was regular to, to give some kind of a prayer in the Roman uh, letter writing conventions. They're normally very short. Um, so, you know, what we would expect is Paul to say, you know, Paul and Timothy, and then to these people, grace to you from God, and then some kind of a prayer. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, if this is the Roman world, I think Poseidon that I traveled safely, something short. Uh, well, look at what Paul's done. He's given us a lengthy section of what his prayer looks like, verses 3 through 11. And uh, Clark taught that last week and, and really dove us in also to just what it looks like to pray for people that way. Uh, but it was really effective, uh, the close of, of his talk last week. Um, but then verse 12, frequently you then say, let me tell you how things are. I made it safely and all is well. You know, something short and sweet like that. This is where Paul gets really... Um, divergent from maybe the normal convention and especially the content. So look at 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is the NIV, that what has happened to me has actually served to, uh, NIV translates it, advance, what does the ESV go yeah, with? Advance. advance the gospel. Okay. It's a very particular play on words. In fact, uh, the Greek word for uh, advance or progress and the Greek word for a hindrance or something in my way is the exact same word in every way except one letter difference in the middle of the word. Um, and so you could barely even hear. It's an S. It's a sigma, S sound. You can hear it, but it's just this one letter that, that changes the meaning from hindrance to progress. And what Paul's about to say, every single person reading this would say, that should be hindrance. It's almost like, did the scribes mistranslate uh, this? Aren't you saying this is a hindrance? And right off the bat, that 
that gives us, I think, the instruction of what he's doing here and where I'm going to take the sermon on Sunday because Paul's perspective, I'm calling the talk gospel perspective, his perspective is such that chains um, those who would oppose him, those who have wrong motives, uh, enemies of the gospel. He has the kind, death itself, like death, he has the kind of perspective to go, um, no, 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 doesn't serve as a hindrance, no, no, as progress, as an advance of the gospel. And so we're going to drop into some hard questions on Sunday. I'm going to ask all of our people to fill in the blank on this question. Um, what has happened to me has actually served to advance blank. What you fill in the blank uh, with in your life will basically define uh, the orientation of your life and your very destiny. Or we might even make it even more pointed in verse 21. For me, to live is blank. Whatever you fill the gap in there will adjust your perspective. This is where the talk's going to go on Sunday. It will affect your perspective. Paul answers that with the advance of the gospel, and to live is Christ, and everything is derivative of that. It gives him the kind of poise to write what he writes. But notice, um, our personal remarks actually continue all the way to chapter 1, verse 26. This is a very lengthy personal update, we might say, and so I'm going to get to cover half, and then Pope will come in next week and cover the other half. So, Garland, here's Paul. Apostle to the Gentiles, he's traveled around the Mediterranean world, he's planted churches, he has wholeheartedly devoted his life to the gospel and to being obedient to Jesus. How does God let him now be sitting in jail? And what's Paul's take on that? Because I think all of us would be saying, come on, God, I did exactly what you told me to do, and yet right. here I am chained to a Roman guard. Um yeah, break that down for us a little bit. Well, it's, it's even, I could give an illustration even right now uh, as we're talking about this. It's uh, it's Wednesday, and for those for you non-sports people out there, this won't land for you, but uh, on Monday night, the uh, the quarterback of the New York Jets, who they recently acquired, who is one of the best in his position ever, um, it's, was, the team was filled with excitement, tore his Achilles four plays into the season, out for the season. And you look at that and you go, this is such a – a waste. Like we have this talent and now he's going to be sitting in a boot on the sideline. And, um, if you think about Paul and I think maybe it's hard for us to do this, um, to go this person, even if you're a skeptic, uh, everyone would acknowledge that the person named Paul is one of the most influential human beings of all time. Um, one of the most influential leaders, one of the, uh, greatest movement creators in human history. Everywhere he went, he's leaving churches behind him. Like this, this dude um, has some serious chops in leadership, ministry, evangelism, all of the above. You would think that uh, hearing the news that this guy's in jail would devastate him personally. New York Jets fans are devastated today because they lost their quarterback. Um, you would think that all the Jesus fans would be devastated and Paul himself would have his, I mean, I know my head would be down. Like, how could this happen? I would wallow. Um, I had so much more to give. And this is why I think that's a good question. Like your question's right on the money because I think so often we can get paralyzed by that. You know, uh, health diagnosis, difficult relationships, loss of jobs. Some of these things we can find ourselves in the moment going, um, well, Lord, don't you know what I'm missing if you would give me these next 10 years or if I didn't have to waste time looking for this next job or whatever it may be. 
And again, back to perspective. Paul gives us, I think, instruction here on how to have the kind of poise to stare down even prison. Now, just by just because it's fun to me, one of the things I think that buoys his spirits is most think he's in Rome as he writes. There's some debate on that. So this is one of the four prison letters. They're called the prison epistles. Those four are Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those are the four where Paul says he's writing from chains. And there's there's three real options as to where those are, uh, where where he was when he writes those letters, the where he is in jail, and most think it's Rome. So look at his perspective. First of all, he's got Christ. To me, to live is Christ, which orients everything else. But notice how that then, like, I got to imagine, uh, this, like, he was frustrating if you're trying to tamp him down. Like, look at this, verse 13. He goes, uh, well, I'm here in Rome, and man, because I'm a Roman citizen, but I'm under house arrest, they're chaining me to one of the Praetorian Guard. Praetorian Guard was the... Uh, uh, it was basically a particular class of soldier that guarded generals and kings. They're, they're, uh, the, we might call them like the Secret Service, uh, but it was a big group. And uh, there are a lot of times ex-soldiers, very loyal to Rome. And Paul's like, well, one of them's going to be chained to me on shifts day and night. Well, I guess, I guess we could be here in the heart of Rome and see some Praetorian guards get converted. <laughs> and you've got to imagine how frustrating it would be. You know, you're trying you're trying to stop this gospel movement. This is a strange thing if you're a Roman, uh, you know, official, and you keep getting Praetorian guards converted. You can't send them in. Like, well, we who are we gonna throw in there? Because this guy, this uber persuasive leader, evangelist of all evangelists, keeps persuading these guards. And so, his mentality, because he has Christ first, he can even see his worst. It's kind of a Joseph moment, Genesis 50. His worst moments, he's able to somehow see them. And not some saccharine, like we do, you know, uh, silver lining. It's all going to work out. It all works out. Not some saccharine. He really, he knows he's in chains. He's not being uh, fake about it. But he's able to see it and not go to despair. And even to then see how God, you know, in the Joseph story, you meant this for evil, but God caused it to go for the salvation of many. Paul just gets it. And I'm going to try on Sunday at least to say we can get this very same thing. I don't think Paul thinks that he's some brilliant expert. I don't think he thinks he's, uh, he's read the right book or done the right steps, the seven steps to being the guy with this amount of poise. I think he really believes that chapter 2, 6 to 11 happened, that Jesus really is this kind of king, and he says, that was enough for me, and everything else becomes derivative to that. So the challenge for me and you and our church, I guess, this Sunday is whatever you fill that blank in with. Um, it will determine your amount of poise. Yeah. Is is whatever goes in that blank going to sustain me right. when things don't go the way I hope? Mm-hmm. Well, and everything all, else will tether you to circumstances. Right. Everything else. Right. Um, the, even good things you fill the blank in with will necessarily mean circumstances will dictate your amount of poise. And Paul has a resurrected king who rules and reigns over the world, and he goes, oh. So I, I'm going to call this... Uh, I'm going to state my uh, talk this week with what if statements. So what if this, what if that? And the last one is what if we knew Paul's secret? And I'm trying to be provocative with that, obviously, because uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's a secret. I think Paul's pretty open with it. Yeah. Um, you would pay for this kind of intellectual capital. He's just giving it away. So I kind of hope we can learn from Paul here uh, this week because he's actually just going to say, I'm nothing special. I, it's not because of me. Let me point this back to, to Jesus. So, um, 
it's a I love Philippians. I'm sure it's coming across. Uh, I know a lot of people love Philippians because it's a place I think we turn to regularly um, and with good reason. Man, it's awesome. Yeah, even the subtitle of our study, Pursuing Authentic Joy. Yeah. Um, man, who doesn't want that? Well, Clark keeps calling it a fight for joy, um, which might tell us more about the mood Clark <laughs> said lately, the fight for joy. Well, one of the reasons that our loyal Sermon Notes listeners come back again and again is to hear what's not in the sermon. So, Garland, what's something interesting or something that you just had to say, man, I want to talk about this, but it's just not going to make it to the Sunday morning presentation? Yeah, um, there's there, there's really not a ton just grammatically, uh, you know, word study-wise uh, that I don't think is going to, at least I'll have some kind of mention uh, in the sermon. That's good. That's good this week. Uh, there's a couple things you may have question marks about in your small group. Uh I think one may be just the question of what about, you know, uh, he says, well, there's people preaching Christ out of false motives. What do we do with that? And uh, I, I think it might be helpful if you do get that question or if you're processing through that. Um, Paul, Paul's going to distinguish a couple different kinds of groups, we might say. We actually spent a little time talking about this in our Monday morning meeting where we talk about all these things. Um, he seems to have a pretty generous spirit here. When the right message is preached, but maybe with suspicious motives and, um, you know, maybe people don't quite understand and they haven't wrestled it all the way to the bottom of the gospel message, but it seems as if the message of the gospel is still clearly going out. He has some charity for that, at least it seems in chapter one. He goes, well, what does it, you know, what does it matter? Um, now, granted, this is still personal remarks, okay? Um, so maybe he's just giving his personal perspective. But when we get to chapter three, he is no longer very charitable, He's going to call the group here <laughs> language that uh, it's pretty striking even in translation even now, and it was way more striking then. He says, but beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. Um, and this this in chapter 3 seems to be, and there's you know debate on exactly what it is, and we'll get there when we get to chapter 3. This seems to be a perversion of the gospel message, and he comes out much stronger there. So if somebody asks in your group, like, so what do we do with, you know, such and such teacher or church, and what if their motives are wrong? Paul seems decently charitable to that, or at least he seems personally charitable to that, as long as the gospel message is not corrupted in some way. Um, but when the message gets messed up, I think he comes out pretty pretty strong always. He comes out swinging on that. I mean, we did discuss it on Monday. Is there anything you'd add to that or no, just personally I even? No, I, I, I like the way you frame that. And I think what it probably looks like for us in a real-world situation is maybe there's a church or a teacher or a group that we don't really like their style. We don't really like the way they do it. But at the end of the day, we, if we ask ourselves, do are they following Jesus? Are they trying to get others to follow Jesus? I think Paul would say, well, then celebrate that because Christ is being proclaimed, even if they don't do it the way we would do it. Right. Um, so, yeah. and I, But I do think Paul definitely, not just in Philippians, but in all of his letters, you know, we always think about Galatians where he says, even if an angel comes and mm -hmm. and uh, perverts the gospel, let him be accursed. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. The, the message is, is at the heart of it. He cares more about that, I think, than rivalry. He'll say that in 1 Corinthians about Apollos. You know, hey, listen, I know you all love Apollos right now. Hey, I love Apollos. Uh, he seems to be... He seems very open um, to humans having some, maybe getting it wrong occasionally about their motives about it. But when it comes to the message, he is he gets feisty about that. Yeah. Um, another thing that may just come up, and it took me some just wrestling through it, um, and 
whether you read it through and think it or not. There's a strange, uh, it, it's, it gets most translations get a paragraph break here, and it may, may make you wonder why. Somebody may ask it. You may just gloss right over it. But in 18, he says, uh, but what does it matter? The important thing is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, period. That's how uh, the NIV puts a period there. And he says, and because of this, I will rejoice. Paragraph break. Oh, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And I think that does make some people go, what's, um, and commentators do, do discuss this, what's going on here. Uh, and I think maybe the simplest thing is, and, and by way of, if, in case somebody asks it, or just by way of, it's not going to be in the sermon, but it's just interesting. This is a grammatical feature, I guess. Uh, notice the shift in tense. Um, what, what follows this is all future tense verbs. So Paul has been describing his present reality, we might say. And then he ends that with, because of this, I rejoice. But notice the switch in tense to a future tense. I will, for I know that through your prayers, I, what will, what, it will turn out for my deliverance. I, uh, I expect that I will in no way. All of these are future tense verbs. They, are, they have a different uh, convention of how they're expressed in, in Greek. And they all come, when you hear future tense, they all have a very similar thing and rhythm and cadence uh, with the lettering of how they form future tense. Um, so here he's changed, and it seems as if Paul is saying, in my present circumstance, I can rejoice. Hey, and by the way, it ain't going to stop me in the future, because look, God's working this for um, not only my deliverance, but um, to, to make the gospel continue to advance. And so that probably best explains not only the weird paragraph break there, um, but the switch in tense. I think that's why there's a paragraph break. And so therefore it, it started for me as like, a, what, what are they doing here? Why put the paragraph break? Now I'm like, oh, I get it. I think I see what the translators are doing. In this case, the translators actually, I think, have helped us uh, quite a bit if they've got a paragraph break in the middle of verse 18 there for you. Yeah. Um, the only other thing would be uh, that might be uh, worth spending some time talking about is how does the ESV translate the end of nineteen? Uh, this is, will turn out for my deliverance. Deliverance. Okay, I, I thought it would. Most. Do you have a footnote? Um, nope. Yeah, NIV puts a footnote and gives us that it's it says or vindication or salvation. Um, it is the word that we almost always translate as salvation. Um, and we had a professor that had a little mantra. You want to give them the mantra? He would always say, every time you see the word saved, it doesn't mean saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you get saved, when you accept Christ. Uh, so this then creates a, a kind of uh, a kind of question. So it could be that Paul's meaning saved from this prison. Um or he may have some broader understanding um, of what it looks like to experience the joy of walking in our salvation as more than just a decision moment kind of thing. And no matter how you slice it, um, either way, I think it, that the, our professor's point is well taken. I think oftentimes we see saved, immediately think, walk the aisle, set Christ. And uh, I do think there's probably, I'm channeling Tommy Nelson there, yeah. old Tommy Nelson joke. Um, so there's probably, we just need to have a little bit more nuance, and this gives me a chance to bring it out uh, for our listeners at least, because all the translations I can think of, they just change the word in translation to deliverance. They're making an interpretation for us. He means escape from prison, delivered out of prison. Um, and it, it might be helpful just to use the, use the word as we always translate it and let us squirm a little bit and just know when you see the word salvation, there's a wider range, we might say, to that idea. And uh, this is a good as time as any, I guess, to bring that up. And that's about... That's about the only things in this that I'm that are really maybe troubling. Besides the the paragraph break, so really 
I should, and this is just me putting my cards on the table. I should be teaching 21 and following. I should get that passage. Instead, we gave it to Pope. Pope's going to get that. I could not be more jealous. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but really, the personal remarks continue. All the, I'm obviously joking. I love Pope. He'll do a great job. Uh, all the way to the end of the personal remarks. In 27, and we'll talk about this with Pope next week, he actually now begins addressing his audience. And so really, that's an appropriate heading break, sermon break. Um, so Pope and I are going to have to work together on what we share because 21 picks up really in the section 12 to 20. But because we wanted to stand by itself, and I again say, rightly so, some of the most famous verses in the Bible, and if those verses don't get you going, then check your spiritual pulse yeah. quite a bit, because this section, if we can get our arms around, as a church, these words, and mean them, pray them personally, and make them our own, we will have the kind of poise and perspective I think Paul wants us to have, that only can come uh, through seeing Jesus being 2, 6 to 11, which we'll see in a few weeks. So uh, I obviously am excited for this week, and we'll see how it we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, I think that's a great place to wrap up. And uh, to our listeners, uh, I hope you're having a fruitful time as you study this letter to the Philippians, as you process it in your groups, and we'll see you next time on Sermon Notes. <laughs>